to me, digital innovation is more of the technology moving the scale, right? So I've added new technology and that actually creates additional value for that business or that customer or whatever it is that you're trying to do. This is the ERP Organizational Change Journal podcast, brought to you by Nestle & Associates, a Newport Beach, California-based ERP organizational change management firm serving the private equity industry. The ERP OCJ seeks to share expertise, insight, experience, and research, and to create effective conversation to help guide ERP organizational change to real, measurable, and verified success. And now, here's your ERP expert and host, the founder of Nestle & Associates, Dr. Jack Nestle. Hey, Jack here. Today we're going to discuss software development and its role in digital innovation, digital transformation, and ERP success. We do know that nearly all large-scale ERP implementations require some level of customization. And there is a line between the -the out-of-the-box deployments and required customization or software development. We also know that excessive customizations, application integration, and poor understanding of business requirements can extend ERP goal lives and even create business risk. All of us here at the ERP OCJ hope you find this podcast useful as we share lessons learned, discover best practices, and explore the human element components of ERP organizational change. In this episode, we will discuss software development with Steve Douglas. Steve is Senior Account Executive at Nexian and has 30 plus years helping businesses get more value out of their software solutions. And today we're going to discuss how to navigate your business through an ERP implementation in terms of effective software development. Joining us from Vancouver, Washington, Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, Jack. It's a pleasure having you here and really looking forward to uh, sharing some of your experience and insight with our listeners. But before we get started, can you introduce yourself further to our listeners? Sure, Jack. I started my career off as an accountant at Deloitte Two, so went through that for a while and really learned the backbone of business and how businesses run. This was in the early 90s, okay? So... So then at that time, from a system perspective, everything was done manually, right? There was very little system piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, Got into the ERP world in about 1994 with a small company called Oracle, where I started (laughs) to do Oracle ERP implementation. So I went through the whole life of of full-on ERP all the way through the dot-com craze at Oracle. And then late 90s, early 2000, I joined a a company called Computer Science Corporation, where we continue to do that. Um, So I was working with the businesses that were, you know, small startups, dot-com craze, all the way through your Fortune 500. So I've seen a lot of these implementations, probably 50 plus uh, ERP implementations over the years, and kind of gained a lot of knowledge on, you know, what works, what doesn't work, seen almost everything. I had my own consulting practice that I ran for 17 years around the Oracle space that I, I gave up about oh, about three or four years ago just because I was looking to get something a little bit more. My clients and my partners were all looking for that extra piece and I was ready to move on. So that's when I started to investigate what's out there besides ERP, what's out there besides Oracle. And recently I joined Nexient, which is a full custom software shop where they do everything from like the ideation all the way up through, you know, just taking a legacy monolithic system and making it modern, right? That sort of thing. So looking forward to this conversation and, you know, how this relates to an ERP and, you know, that kind of good stuff. Well, great, Steve. Well, thank you for that. Uh, Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. So before we get started, let me ask you to define a couple of items for our listeners. Digital innovation. So being in that space, you know, and and software engineer and design and so forth, how would you define digital innovation? What does that mean from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think that term that term is is really based on the context you're coming from, right? So if mm-hmm. I'm a business and I'm going to be looking at updating my ERP, for instance, right? That digital innovation is a whole different animal. Is it? It's okay. I'm going to be on an IBM AS400 system to a new cloud-based ERP system. Okay, that to them is digital innovation. Versus, let's say you're you know you're a company that has a product. And it utilizes a batch kind of like, you know, interface system to, you know, get things through. And you're going to be using a microservice that is now in the cloud 
and there's no batching. It's all automatic. That would be digital innovation for them. That's To me, digital innovation is more of the technology moving the scale, right? So I've added new technology and that actually creates additional value for that business or that customer or whatever it is that you're trying to do. So to me, technology is moving the scale of innovation for the, the business, the customer, or the product. The context, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a context yeah. thing, right? And yeah. it's, it's a massive, I mean, you say digital innovation, I mean, it can mean... Phew, it's like saying the cloud, like you say the yeah. cloud, what are you talking about? Right. I mean, it's, it depends on where you're coming from, what that person's looking for. Yeah, exactly. Good definition. Well, let me ask you this then. What does digital transformation mean to you? <laughs> it's the same thing, right? No, no. I mean, that's what, I mean, sometimes it's hard to determine, right? What is the difference between digital innovation, digital transformation? For me, what I've seen, right, working with customers and where they're going, when they say digital transformation, they're actually looking at, I want to change my business. I want to do something that's kind of revolutionary that no one's ever done before. And I'm going to get there by changing like processes, changing my people, changing even a product or a revenue stream. And I need technology to get me there. So, so to me, that's like a business-driven change or transformation versus when I look at it, digital innovation, it's a technical-driven change. Yeah. So that I think if you can kind of look at it from those high platitudes, it will make a difference, you know, of how the organization approaches it. Um, like a digital innovation a lot of times would be driven maybe from the IT organization where digital transformation could be driven from the CEO yeah. right, of the company. Or digital transformation could be driven by an event like COVID. That's driven digital transformation across organizations that I would never have thought of looking at changing. Yeah, good point. You know, those are two words. The reason I wanted to start off our interview, our time today with those definitions is because they're pretty popular words. You see them a lot and, um, mm -hmm. you know, they're almost buzzwords. So I thought uh, it would be interesting to get your insight and description or definition. So as you had mentioned, Steve, you had great experience in the ERP world. And now, of course, you are in the software customization world. And in my view, as, as an ERP implementation practitioner, there's a, quite a bit in common there. And that is because often during a, uh, an ERP deployment, there's, there's a certain level of trying to find that balance between out of the box and customization to fit the requirements, right? To fit the business needs. Uh, which we'll get into that a little bit more here, I think, further along in our conversation. But what would you say from your experience, what role does effective software development play in successful ERP deployment? Oh, I mean, it's it's massive. Um, like you said in the opening, as, I mean, almost every ERP implementations get to have custom components, right? I mean, that was always... Um, you know, when I was really deep into delivery of, of ERP, that was like the word you didn't say. It was like, <laughs> we don't do customizations. Yeah. I mean, they actually changed the word at Oracle. They called it extensions, yes, right? right. So the ERPs then, it was hard for them to support if there was a customization done to their core code. So some of these ERPs, they've allowed interfaces or APIs to be driven. Um, now you're seeing it with microservices and RESTful interfaces and that sort of thing to allow for that extension because the ERP really, right, is is just a baseline core set of best practices mm -hmm. for an organization to run. Mm -hmm. And I've always I've always kind of looked at it as it has its core piece and it has a boundary around it. And then outside that boundary, you have other business components that really are needed for that business to run at its own vertical, right? You know, better. And the ERP doesn't always do it because it's trying to, you know, it's it's always trying to like relate to the entire mass, the entire, like an entire sector group. Um, if you take Oracle, for instance, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's relating to a process manufacturing company all the way down to a services company. So, I mean, it's, it's going to have challenges meeting the business requirements of every single business in there. So it has to be extended or customized. So that is real critical in having that kind of strategy involved. The thing that when I was doing ERP implementations that was, you know, you would just identify, okay, here's your, here's the business requirement, right? Does the software do it? Yes or no. Here's a gap. How expensive would it be to extend this? Does it make sense to do it, right? Mm -hmm. In the custom software world, it's a different thing. They look at it from, like, at least on a Nexient side, we look at it from the user experience first. So what does the user get out of this thing? 
at this custom piece that you're looking at. Is the user going to get value? Are they going to enjoy using it? Is it going to provide something over a long period of time? And then the whole the strategic components of that, like how is this thing going to be maintained over its life? What's the revenue stream that's going to be tied to that that product over its life? And how are you going to get it to market quickly? And how are you going to iterate that to improve based on feedback from users? And how are you going to get that from users? In the ERP world, that just never happened, mm-hmm. right? It was just, I mean, they put the requirements down, the development team cranked away on that that extension or customization. They did a use, you know, maybe some um, unit tests. They did some integration tests and then user acceptance tests, and then it, it went live. And then bugs would come up, right? And then of the bug that was reported, they looked at it and said, hey, that was never intended. It's coded as we've required, and you guys signed off on it, you know, put that in something future. And the user was kind of left behind. So that's why users, like I was seeing it in the ERP world, users would always try to shove as much stuff up front as they possibly could because they know that they never could get that later on once the project's done. Yeah. I mean, I, it was always a chase, right? So yeah. I think that's like a big thing that I've taken away now being in this custom space of more the user is involved all the way through the process of the software development. I don't know if I mentioned this, but Nexian is 100% agile in the way that we do everything. We're pragmatic, but it's it's still agile based. So the sure. users are always in the forefront of that whole entire component where in the ERP world, that's not always the case. It's it's starting to come around. Like I talked to a lot of my larger customers that are a hybrid waterfall agile, and they're starting to bring users in more and stuff, which is great, I think. And I, but I think that is kind of like the, the biggest difference that I've seen so far being in this space. Well, that, that's interesting, Steve. And you know as well as I do that throughout an ERP implementation, the chances of having no customizations, uh, or I mean extensions, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I think just to, to think that, and, and every organization is different, right? And and to a certain degree, some um, some organizations can just do an install and use out of the box. And we've seen projects where we, you know, it was a it was a good selection process, right? Which is a whole nother topic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the selection process, it was a good modeling fit, a good feature function fit, but still, they had you know quite a few uh, customizations. And obviously, when you get into the larger organizations and global organizations, um, you know, the customizations, uh, I guess, percentage can increase. But yeah, the the process is normally either through your conference room piloting, uh, typically you realize that there's some gaps or disconnects. So then you have your developer or your functional lead would kind of put together the the initial document describing the, the um, I guess, the gap. And then that would go to a developer who would help determine uh, what would be required. And then they would put some time, money, and effort and cost to that. So, you know, you usually go through two or three steps in various forms, and then you get the final approval and signature. And then the, the development team would start the work. They then deliver that back to your organization in the test environment, and then the functional lead normally walks the appropriate team members through to get their final approval and sign off. And um, now I know that was quite simplistic and from a high level, but with you know your approach, as you'd mentioned, and with Nexian and really putting the customer experience first, help me and help our listeners just bridge the gap. And how could that approach be maybe brought into that whole current? way of approaching customization from an ERP vendor perspective, how can they, you know, because it's really, it's kind of two different ideas, as you said, and I, I agree mm-hmm. with that, but how can, you know, as ERP vendors and developers, how can they include that idea? Does my question make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. And and it's something I've seen tested a little bit. I was doing a big project. We were uh, implementing Oracle at a large, large gaming company up in Seattle. And they had some major extensions they were working through, and they're running those pieces through an agile process, right? Mm-hmm. And the meantime, we were on the parallel side, we were doing the full-on Oracle implementation. So that was completely waterfall, right? Just mm-hmm. bang, bang, bang. Yeah. And so the users of that group were being brought in the entire time for just looking at the custom uh, software side, the, the the extensions. And they're going through that while we're just kind of cranking through. But the part that is challenging is when do you connect it, right? Yeah. So the ERP is right. not ready. The software is ready, right? The, the custom software is ready. And you got users looking at that 
on the go, on the on the fly, as quick as possible. I think that the way that ERP needs to get there is to somehow kind of catch up on the software development end of things where they can provide some sort of an environment that would mimic what's going to be at the end, but it's not there yet because, I mean, ERP side takes a long time to implement it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not there yet. They haven't passed the unit test cycle or whatever, but it's a development environment that that then that development team can then work in and have the users. So the the cycle that we go through is after it's kind of been designed, whatever, the users are involved in the whole process through there. So it's similar, right, so far. Mm-hmm. But then code's written and the users start using it as quick as possible. So you have like some prototyping or some, you know, proof of concept stuff going on. And you try to get to that users basically um, having the software completed to what in the custom world is called the MVP, right? Minimum valuable product. Yeah, right. So you want them to have that as fast as possible and start using it and providing feedback so that then you can iterate through it. The other thing that like what Nexient does with every one of their projects, it's the testing cycle, right? So in the ERP world, the testing cycle is very heavy. I mean, sometimes you'll automate things and whatever, but it's really heavy on user involvement. Where what we do is we end up taking that testing piece and we add quality engineers, so QEs, to every single one of our product teams and our projects. And everything is then automated so that the testing component can get done. So maybe not what the actual outcome of what you know the development is supposed to be doing, but it automates the interaction with the other systems like the ERPs or whatever. So that can get done instead of taking a week. They can get done with with the automated testing cycle in 10 minutes. Sure. Then that way you can iterate and you can release. So the key thing from a software development standpoint is creating releases constantly, right? So you want to be releasing a new, you know, release of whatever it is, the the software version in you know every week or every two weeks or even quicker. So that's another thing yeah. that they plan into it. And that's tough in ERP world, right? Especially if the ERP project's going on. So I think that's the struggle, and I think someone will figure that out, is how can you work the two worlds together yeah. um, to be efficient, right? Yeah. So, so you're essentially running your development more in parallel with your testing versus sequentially mm-hmm. uh, with your end users, and you're doing it, doing it in shorter sprints. You right. Know, and, and we, we actually have a concept um, that's not on the ERP side, but it's we call it dual track agile, right, mm-hmm. where we'll have... We'll we'll have the development side happening, and then we'll have the design side happening. So the design side be happening like two weeks in advance, and then the the development side will be happening right after that, and then it'll just be continually going. So it's almost like it's going just all at the same time, but it's it's a two week jaunt between, and that that actually creates even more velocity of the of the development cycle, and the users are all involved constantly in the agile process because of all the different types of meetings and different readouts and all that kind of stuff that they have. So they're very involved and very, I guess, I don't know, committed to the development side of things. Whereas an ERP, sometimes users are, I mean, I hate to say it, but they're almost looked at as, you know, the, the evil side of things, right? Or yeah. a, a necessary component that's required. Whereas I think if the ERP can bring in users more and get them involved more, yeah. you know, I think they would have more success, but it's tough, right? Because users have a full-time job. So Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it depends on the, obviously the extent of the customization or extension. Right. Um, you know, some are much more, I would say, sophisticated than others. And, you know, some of these extensions they can address in a day or two, and sometimes it could take months. Right. Obviously, if you run into a lot of customizations that take months, then you may have uh, bigger issues with your ERP selection, in my view. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's... There was a project that I did. It was for a large county project. It was like a three-year implementation. And I was the development manager on it. So I managed all the developers on that. And I had like 65 developers. And I had pages and pages of different development components that were needed to get done. It was, I mean, it was a serious challenge. Um, And getting users involved was like the impossible task. So, I mean, that's where ERP has its trouble, right? Yeah, the end user engagement and really trying to include them in that whole development process as much as often as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, based on your, I I guess, this idea of an end user experience centric (laughs) focus, 
how would you define success then for a software development project or, or product? What, what does success look like for you and, and your team at Nexian? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, honestly. The way that we look at things in our process of, of development, they have this concept of definition of done right? So when is, when is something done? I mean, I was just on a call this morning where the VP of engineering was having another training class on definition of done, you know, and it's a continual mindset that they're looking at. Um, I think that the biggest difference that I can tell you is it's a concept of project. So like you have the ERP project, right? Defined scope, requirements, timeline, dollars, all that stuff, right? Is done between this date and that date. That's what they're looking. That's the project, right? Versus custom software development, they look at it from a product perspective. So it's a subtle thing, but it really changes what your, I think, definition of success is. So a project would be, I'm going to get X number of my requirements done with user acceptance testing completed by this date. If I hit that within budget, I have a successful project, right? Thing goes live. Versus a, a successful product, you know, or a, a custom software development would be the outcomes that I was looking to get from this, you know, whatever, you know, this custom piece of software. I hit those outcomes, you know, this much revenue gain or whatever it was, or this reduction in in expenses, whatever those outcomes were. That's how you measure to me a successful custom software development project. Um, yeah. I'll got this much user engagement, you know, what whatever that is. And so it's it's something that's subtle, but it's what we look at at Next It's we, powerful though. Yeah, we it's call, exponential. Yeah, we call yeah. it the product the product mindset, right? So it's it's a yeah. we're looking at the product and the product starts with the user experience and then goes from there. And it and it yeah. really comes down like the way that we actually do like our implementations. Um, an ERP implementation it used to be the old adage that the the consulting company would drive the bus up and all the consultants we'd get off and you know you have to have a huge space for them to you know work and get all that stuff done right and it worked right it was just like you know roll your sleeves up and just start cranking away versus the the way that Nexian has kind of come and I think it's where they they make their difference they have this concept called you know development at the speed of of startup so the, mm. the, the guy that started you know, Nexian, he came from Silicon Valley, and he looked at how come startups can get things done so fast, right? And it's, it's because they have a pure focus on whatever that product was they're trying to get out the door. Everybody in the entire organization, so let's say it's a team of eight, right? Team of 10. They're all hyper-focused on getting that product out and making the user experience amazing so that then they can make their money and they can get, you know, say, Hey, look how many people we have. Give me, you know, a hundred million dollars and you know, we're all going to be happy. Right. So they taken that concept now and say, okay, how can we do this say to a, a big company like UPS or, you know, something like that, some huge enterprise, how can they develop at the speed of startup and everything we do at Nexians in what we call product teams. Now the ideal product team from a Nexian perspective is like they have a UX UI kind of, component in there. So two or three people, they have a product person in there. So a product owner, product manager, you know, those kind of people, that product owner is someone that is kind of critical because they relate to what the business is trying to get out of that product. You know, what are those outcomes they're looking at to get to make sure that this thing's successful? Then you have the agile component, which is your scrum master side. They're the task master of the whole thing. Sure. Then you have your engineering teams, and then you have your QE, and then you have your DevOps. So that team itself is self-contained, right? Yeah. So they don't need to be like micromanaged. They, they've got the product that they're going to be delivering, and they go at it. And that's how they've brought that startup mentality into software development, even in an enterprise level. So it's yeah, pretty interesting. Right. It's fascinating to me. And it's, yeah. it's some conversations I have with these, all these companies all the time. Sometimes it blows our mind and it's hard for them to get grasp the concept, <laughs> but, but it, yeah. it does really work. We have a ton of, of use cases of, of where that has yeah. happened. So, you know, and I think Steve, I, I just want to share a quote from the Nexian site. Cause I think it just summarizes well, what you've just described for our listeners and that is your, your site actually says, quote, along the way, we've learned something important that most software product development companies fail to understand. The magic of software is more than its ability to automate tasks or save money. 
What most product development companies miss is that great software has the power to engage and connect with people. And, you know, so just hearing you, uh, I, I was going to ask you to elaborate on that a little bit more, but I think you did that well. <laughs> I in, might, have, in I might previous... have jumped the gun there, Jack. <laughs> no, that's, that's good. Um, but, but the point is, is yeah, you know, th- this idea of being end user experience uh, focused and centric is a major part of how you, um, you know, the, the success of your product and your engagements. Yeah, I mean um, those are those are our ideal. I mean, lots of times though, we'll get into it where a company has a bunch of old legacy stuff that's holding them back, and they just want us to update it. You know that kind of thing. So, but still, that is yeah. that's there too. I mean, it all leads to what's that next that they're going to get. And I mean, if you look at our like on our website, you've looked at obviously the I love our saying because life's too short for crappy software. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> that's a I mean, there's guys in our on our or people in our our company they wear that shirt around. It's hilarious, but it's yeah. a it's a driven culture. It's a it's a mindset that product mindset is something that's driven. I mean, I'm on the sales end of it, right? I'm an account executive. I had to take agile classes when I first got hired. Like that's my onboarding. It's mm. crazy, right? And so, so I've had to really ingest this and, and live this stuff for the last six months, and it's it's amazing. And it's a continual yeah. thing that they do. So it's it's something they're driving, and I think that's the difference, really, that an ERP project team has to get to. I think if they can get there somehow, I don't know how it would be, but if they can get that mindset into the ERP side, I think they'll get more. I mean, I don't know. ERP is so hard, but I think they might get more um, success with their ERP, you know, or yeah. more user acceptance. I mean, that's the toughest part in ERP is just yeah. getting those the users on their side of it. So. And, and you know, if, uh, obviously, Steve, there's you know when you talk about software development, there's the software development of the ERP product itself, right? It's core right. product, and and right. every ERP vendor, Older. you know, has yep. has their way of of approaching the the development of their product. But I think in the context of this conversation today, and, and the thing that I most well, I, I'm interested in both sides of that uh, that coin, um, mm-hmm. but especially in terms of customizations or extensions for that particular organization, right? And in that process is often, you know, the time, money, and effort that could be spent on customizations in that process. And sometimes it can be pretty clunky. Sometimes it goes well, you know, so that um, that's always a part of a project that you have to be very diligent about and very tactical about, you know, when it comes to these customizations kind of outside of that core product. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, um, I agree. And, and let me ask you this. I'm going to maybe, I don't know, put you on the spot or pick your brain, but you had some, there's some interesting um, the blog articles on the Nexient site. So I'm not sure to what extent you're familiar with these, but I'm going to, I'm going to test you anyways. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and there's, there's maybe three or so that I just want to pick your brain on. So one was, I think, a colleague of yours at Nexient. Uh, I guess his name is Dan. And there's an article called North Star Myth Busting. And this is what the site says. A North Star metric is intended to be a key to measure success. Its value comes from aligning everyone to work towards a common goal. At its best, it helps provide focus and leads people to better decisions. But then it goes on to list some different myths. And one myth was we must identify only one North Star metric. The second one was our North Star metric should measure business value, like revenue. Uh, the third one was our North Star metric never needs to change. And fourth, we don't need to measure anything other than our North Star. And so I, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on this and, and how it pertains to Nexian's process of software development and this idea of North Star metrics in terms of effective software development, I guess I would say. I mean, I think what he's what he's thinking is that on the North Star is not meant to be, you know, rigid, right? It, everything that, that we look at from a next hint perspective is everything's got to have agility, right? It has to have ability to move and change based on what you're getting back from the feedback loop that your users are providing to you or that the, the end user of that product is beginning. And the North Star is something that you can use, you know, from a corporate or a, you know executive level drive, you know, here's what we want. But there's other things that need to come into play, like having one North Star, you know, there may be additional components that you have to look at. So from a strategic standpoint, that I think what Nexiate does a lot with their customers is they'll they'll say, okay, that sounds great. 
but what about this? What about that? What about that? So we are always in that mode of being very curious and understanding why. And then and then once we understand why, then that gives us the opportunity to maybe challenge more and ask the questions of, you know, why is that? What else could there be that could drive this thing? Have you thought about something like this? So I think that that blog is probably around the standpoint of, you know, bringing out some of that agile kind of mindset yeah. to, you know, yeah. to a company. So I think, that's, I think that's what the main thing is driven from that, that I, blog. Too, yeah, I agree. I, and I, that's why I wanted to point it out. I, when you talk about just bringing out some of that agile mindset, that that's really what I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was a nice little article. And, and speaking yeah. of agile, you know, your site, Steve says that the best software development case studies are fueled by deep technology expertise and the ability to perform scaled agile development through applied innovation, uh, creative strategy and quality engineering, all of which you touched on a little bit previously. But can you dive in just a little bit more for our listeners? What is agile? Or I should say, what does agile mean in the context of software development? Just dig a, a little bit deeper, and what is the benefits of that? Um, so the the key thing from an agile software development perspective is is that it is that agile mindset, right? It's all based around that team approach, and that the team you know basically forms norms and and can get the product outcome that you're looking for. So whatever that north star is, right? You know that team then takes that and they go through. Um, it's the agile manifesto, right? And which is, it's yeah, all about right. the team. And, it, you know, you have that, and that whole team makes that thing up. They're hyper-focused on delivering. And if you make that delivery outcome on what the user experience is, then that's where you get great software. And that's what we do at Nexient. And it's something that the entire company almost runs on like an agile mindset. I mean, just even from the sales perspective or anything else that we do, it's all from that team approach, from getting the best experience uh, for whatever it is that we're looking for. But on the development side, it's driven all the way through on every one of our teams. Yeah. So help me translate that to a, a project, an ERP implementation project. So let's say Steve is the guy in charge for a large-scale ERP implementation project. Mm-hmm. And you, as you'd mentioned earlier, you, you, I know you have some great experience in this area. Um, but what would you do maybe differently from what you've seen in your experience on these various ERP projects to improve agile software development? So you're there, you're with a customer, you've got three or four different stakeholder groups internally within your organization. They're all asking for customizations. Walk me through what Steve would do to bring in more of an agile software development approach to the practice of ERP implementation. The main thing I think I would do, just thinking through kind of the, the how it works from an ERP perspective and what I've seen, because I've seen so much development over the years done from an ERP perspective that's just been kind of thrown away, right? I'd separate the ERP side of things from custom side of things mm-hmm. completely and just run them separately as separate distinct components. And I would force the business to first try to utilize the ERP software as it was really intended, right? From its best use case scenarios that it has, right? And and getting that up and running to some component, knowing there's gaps that are going to be there and just figuring out you know, the base level of custom or say manual process or where it is, if I have to bring in temps, just get the business running on the base ERP. And then on the, on the side, identify the custom pieces that are out there, you know, put them into just like from an agile perspective, you'd have your product owners or, or whoever is going to be the, the architect of that ERP solution, manage those custom components for value, right? Which ones are the most valued? So you basically rack and stack them, organize them. And then you would have agile product teams that then would grab those basically, you know, let's call those requirements or those customizations like a story, right? And then just start running them through and figure out, okay, this is my velocity that I can get with these. This is where I can get this done. I can get these five done by this time frame. And you just start organize that in like it's a full on product instead of an ERP project. I think that would be amazing if you could figure it out 
Now I'm not saying it would work, but it's my concept in my head that I was like, yeah. when, and when I was getting ready yeah. for this, I was thinking, this is a strategy that I always seen, right? I mean, like I, I gave up, I, I came up with that example of a project that I was working on for a county. And in the front of that thing, when they were negotiating what this project would look like, they had all this custom component that they said we are required to have, mm-hmm. right? It was driven into the fixed bid price of the project. And by God, that county was going to get every single one of those pieces, mm-hmm. even though I'd say 80% of them probably never got used because <laughs> they didn't know what the ERP software could actually do, right? So yeah. the ERP, we're looking at this as a development team. We're like, hey, this report is in this form. Yeah. Why can't they just so use you, it out of the form? You, know? you so. mentioned a you mentioned a good point. I mean, a lot of times businesses don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And you you know, you talk a little bit about the ideas, you know, before you move forward on software development, again, because that's organizational capital, that's time, money, and effort. And frankly, yep. it is underestimated in time, money, and effort, and even tactically, but it's a huge part of any large scale ERP organizational change effort and this idea of extensions and customizations. And, and I think that yeah, that very first step is this conversation and change acceptance or, you know, this change acceptance idea that, you know, a lot of people, they, they want to change, but they don't. They want to do things the same. They want the processes to work the same. But by definition, mm-hmm. through large scale ERP organizational change, all of that is going to change uh, for the most part right. in, in terms of how you do it. And, you know, so there's the conversations that organizations need to have so that they don't put themselves in a position where there's extensive customization. Um, I really do believe that there's one right fit for every organization and you have to understand the product because the way that they may model your business or perform features and functions can vary drastically from one ERP product to another. So I think once you do your your homework and you can be, you can rest assured that you did your best to select the right system. Well, yeah, now your end users, as you just mentioned, they have to know the system, they have to learn the system, and then you have to convince them that maybe they need to think outside the box and do things a little differently from what they did before, rather than trying to create all these customizations. And there's one quote, and I forget where I first heard this, but it was years ago. Yeah, I have it somewhere noted. But this idea that most businesses didn't invent business, right? And meaning, <laughs> meaning there, there actually is such a thing as standard processes and, and out-of-the-box standard operating procedures and so forth. And I would agree with that. But I also agree, Steve, that there are within organizations, there are nuances and maybe competitive differentiators that do separate them from other businesses or competitors, you know, in the industry. And it does deserve some customizations because, you know, you can't just jam one ERP system in across a hundred organizations and, and think that none of them are going to customize. But I think the exercise you go through and really understand that value in like, which is, I, I think the exact word you mentioned earlier, the value of that customization and why you need it is a significant mm-hmm. part of, of the whole process. Absolutely. And, and I would contend that you don't even know what that value is to that ERP until you've used yeah. the ERP, yeah. like really used yeah. it. Right. And so, I mean, so in the hard part about, um, you know, you got your, you have unit testing and you have conference room pilot, like you said, but do the users really get in there yeah. and use it? Like, are, so I, that's why I, I'm in my head, I, I'm thinking about this. And I thought about this before, you know, I was even going to come on this podcast with you is how can you do that? Right. And it, that's, I think if someone could figure out that process from an ERP implementation perspective, <laughs> I think they would have some golden ticket there. Maybe yeah. who knows? I mean, it's, the, but it gets back to also the users, especially the ones that have been around for a while, they've <laughs> learned right? That if they don't get that requirement in and that customization in, in the first project, that it, it's going to be hard to get it in later. Like that, yeah. that they have learned that. I mean, some organizations, I mean, I've been, had that experience. So. Yeah. And you know, Steve, I really agree with you on the CRP and the training and, you know, we've analyzed lots of project plans and I, I think we both agree that in terms of learning and development, you know, the whole organizational learning process in preparing for an ERP go live. Um, let's say that uh, some ERP vendors or partners do it better than others. And, and in some plans, it's non-existent. And in others, it's, it's much better. But I think the reality is when you get your end users and you have your formal training program and you have your CRPs, you know, it, it can be pretty tough to flush things out 
um, even in some of the best of the L&D programs and in the best of the conference room piloting programs. And a lot of it is when you hit the switch and you go live and users need to rely on the system in their real life, you know, a lot of times that can be where, where things kind of flush out. So I, I think even despite best efforts, um, which you have to put forth those best efforts and try to minimize, uh, I would say, the post-go-live uh, type of activity, especially in terms of customizations, you know, it, it can be quite challenging. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's the company implementing the ERP to me is is taking all of the risk, right, of that thing going mm-hmm. live. And my thought, if you just could somehow separate the component and say, okay, I'm going to go live the ERP as is, right, and make my business run on it, then that risk is now taken from the company implementing to the software company that developed the ERP. Yeah. And and that I think if you can separate those two components out somewhat, I think that I think that companies could find that they would have more success. The hard part when you get into ERP is from a waterfall perspective. Once you go down that one task, once you go down that one step, you you pass that that checkpoint. It's it becomes more and more and more expensive to go backwards. And if you find something. Right. So then all the pressures on that end user, all the pressures on that team as the further you get down to like, you know, figure out what that is. And it's and I think it kind of like builds on itself. Yeah. Fascinating idea. Uh, This is a fun conversation, Steve. I'm excited to have you on today because it's, uh, (laughs) you know, I can't tell you how many times, especially in the uh, ERP practitioner world, you know, you get, you get us together and, and this is always a topic that comes up, you know, Absolutely. as customizations. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, let me ask you, um, you know, so we talked a little bit about Agile um, mm-hmm. and, and uh, Nexian's approach. And one of the other articles that I read and I, I thought it was very interesting is Phil, one of your team members did an article called Why You Need Both a Scrum Master and a Product Owner on mm. an Agile Team. Can you just take a moment and maybe define Scrum Master and Product Owner for our listeners and then explain why this idea is so important in software development? Yeah. So in the Agile world, the two roles are very different um, in what they provide to that end product or that the development that is occurring. The Product Owner is really representing the business users, right? The business and what that business is going to get out of that product. What's the value that's going to be returned from that product? What are the outcomes of that product You know, they want? What is basically the architect of that end business product that's being developed? Whereas the Scrum Master is more of the um, coordinator. He, they're, they're the taskmaster of what's happening. They keep the communication going amongst the you know, the agile product team, right? This whole concept of product team. So you have product owner, you have, you have your UX group, you have your scrum master, developer engineer. So there's a lot of components, a lot of roles within that product team. And that scrum master's role is to keep everybody communicating, keep the team functioning at a high level, identifying roadblocks or, or stoppages that's keeping someone from moving forward and taking care of that. So it'd be very challenging for a product owner to take on the role of a scrum master because at some point, sometimes they may be in conflict, right? So it, it, yeah. it's it's really important for us, at least when we develop our teams, to have two, those two separate roles. Now, a lot of times, like I said, the Nexient's approach to Agile is very pragmatic and we might join a client and they may be midstream and they may have a product owner already. So we'll just fit in and fill in the teams where we think that they may be shy or we, we work out with, with our clients on what to do. But it is really important that those roles are filled in. And it's also dependent on, on what's being developed. Like if it's, if it's just a pure like legacy, old legacy system that is just being updated and modernized you know, to a new technology or to a new language or whatever, it just may be an engineering team at which point in time you might have like the engineering lead be also the scrum master, right? Yeah, but there might yeah. not be a need for a, like a product owner. Yeah. So when I and I think if if we had to boil this down, it, the intent behind these two key positions is to divide and conquer such that you can live up to your ultimate commitment, which is end user experience through quick, rapid. Multiple or iterations, I guess, right? Hence, the, yeah. the kind of one of the basic premises behind agile. Yep. You know, they can have conflicting views. I, I mean, they're they're kind of two different positions. So that to have two different roles uh, in a formal way just kind of helps uh, make sure you can accomplish that end objective at the end of the day. 
Right. Yeah. Because the product owner is looking at what the product is, what are the stories that are going to be done, what's the priority of the stories, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Where the scrum master is like going out to the you know the engineering teams and going, okay, you know what you got this one, you got this one. You know, what's the velocity going on here? What what's keeping you from doing it? Yeah. Right. So it's yep. it's kind of yeah. There are two different roles, and at least in our world. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, my next question for you, Stephen, this caught my attention and, and it is another article on your website, but being that Nestle and Associates is very much focused on the idea of organizational culture and leadership with large scale ERP organizational change. I wanted to ask you about this one, but this was called Culture and Consistency, the Keys to Agile Development Success. And this was by, I believe, one of your co-workers, uh, Aubrey. I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly. Um, but the article says, quote, software development can be complicated. Projects can start to go off the rails. And it's not always from lack of effort, ability or experience. So what role would you say, Steve, does organizational culture play in successful software development? Oh, I mean, it's it, it's I mean, it's very important from a standpoint of if the if the team if if you go back to what like I was talking about with product teams right so if that product team has to have its own culture that is owned by that you know that team that everybody on that team is is on board with that culture with what they're going to produce and why are they producing it and why are they there and that is a lot that's driven by that scrum master right you know they're kind of like okay what are what is this team's goes what are we going to end up with? And then they're also taking that cue from, let's say, the organization itself of what that organization make North Star is or multiple North Stars or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. so the key thing is, is for that team all to be working together. If you have different components within that team, let's say one's just trying to see how much they can get done and not worried about that user experience. And then another, you know, someone else on that team is like really looking at that user experience and challenging. There's going to be conflict. That's where that scrum master really fits in. It's like pulling everybody together as a team, how they have to, and getting everybody involved. So, you know, your user groups in there constantly working with those teams. And it all gets around that whole concept of that product team. Um, working together with the same culture, the same core values of what they're trying to get done. Yeah. I think that's kind of probably where she's going with that, yeah. at least from from what I can take. Yeah, I agree. And I especially think, um, you know, when I think of culture, I think of it exactly as you just said, core values is, is one of the, I, I guess, attributes is, is having alignment and sharing core values is critical. But you know, uh, organizational learning uh, is another one. I mean, sharing the same goals and objectives and having the common vision, being willing to create change and accept change and to take on some risk, team orientation. Right. Um, you know, there's just a lot of attributes that are included in this idea, this kind of abstract idea of organizational culture. And and right. I think it's a very powerful idea, especially when it comes to transformational change oh. and, and change acceptance. I, and and take that. So so I'm talking about a product team, right? So it's a team of like eight to fifteen people, right? It's yeah. not big. Yeah. Now now take that whole culture concept, and this goes to your world, to the ERP side of things, right? Yeah. So you you yeah. have let's say you take my county example, right? You have the sheriff's office, you have the Department of Transportation office, you got you know all these various groups, all having different thoughts and objectives and agendas and how to bring those guys culture. I mean, that's some of the challenge of ERP, right? Is it's easier to do in a software development side. That's why I'm, I have this whole thought that you separate the components out and you let them, let them go individually parallel and bring them together, you know, at the time that's appropriate, you know, when they've, they've said we're done. Right. We have this custom product developed successfully. Everybody's using it. It's working great. Boom. You know, we're done. But I mean, that's a that's a whole nother story. I mean, we can go forever yeah. there. But it, it, it is culture. Say, like yeah. I've, I had a I worked on this large project for a big manufacturing firm. You know, multinational, huge firm. I worked directly with the CIO as the project manager over the whole project, and and he had the greatest concept that I've used to this day. So this was back in oh, it's like maybe early two thousands, and I still think of this. He would he just broke it into four quadrants, and if you're looking at it. The top left quadrant, right, is the most important. Then the second to the right on the top is the second most, and then bottom, whatever. On the, his top left quadrant was people. 
Mm-hmm. That that was his main focus. And then when we ever talked to the business, like we would have you know, regular scheduled meetings with business like stash report meetings and different other meetings. We always were talking about the people of that company, right? And where are they at with things? Not just the people on the project team, just, you know, in the different groups, in the different business departments, you know, are they being ready for this? Do they have knowledge of this? I mean, and so as a project manager, because he was driving it from that side, I was hyper-focused on working with the department leads, you know, the VPs of each department or whatever to say, okay, where are we at with your people? What kind of training we need to do? What kind of, you know, and I was just constantly working on that side. On his, the bottom right corner, the least important of anything within that entire project in his mind was the technology, the system. Uh, yeah. So he's like, yeah. the, the tech guys are going to get it done, right? That's just money and time, right? We're yeah. going to get that done. But yeah. it's the people process and then and then he had data. So, I mean, yeah. I keep that quadrant still in my head when I think about ERP to these days. So, Well, that's a great way to think about it. I, I agree. I, in fact, I couldn't agree more. Um, so, Steve, this has been such a fun conversation and I appreciate your time, but I'm going to sneak in about three, uh, two or three more questions here, if you don't mind, before I let no you go. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so digital enablement versus digital transformation. What's the difference to you? Wow. Um, so it's similar to digital innovation and digital transformation, I guess. But digital enablement, that would be where the application is enabling something to be done, like a product to be done. Uh, let's say, for example, you get invoices that come in from vendors and then you have to pay them. And then someone takes those invoices, paper invoices or whatever, and files them away. Or let's say they're emails and they file them away. Um an enablement of that, pro- a digital enablement of that would be, okay, those invoices come into a system, the system identifies it as this is, you know, because it came into a certain email box, it scans it, it translates the values to a, uh, an application, and then boom, it's done. So at that point, that that AP department or whatever has an, a digital enablement now to be more efficient and and have their people instead of filing stuff away or doing whatever they now can look at more value added components of that process right that'd yeah. be like enablement whereas the digital transformation it, I think it goes back to that overall like we are going to change our business somehow like we're going to drive new revenue streams we're going to transform from doing it like this to something else and we're going to use some sort of technology component to get there overall as an as an overall you know maybe an organization or a department or whatever it is mm-hmm. so it's i think it's a higher level direction versus a technical component so i, I would say like digital enablement and digital innovation are it's very similar to the truth sure okay i'm going to ask you another what's the difference question um oh, wow. you, you had okay. another article <laughs> Uh, it looks like another team member, Trent, uh, had an article called Usability Testing versus User Acceptance Testing. What's the difference? Oh, boy. What is the difference? Um, usability testing would be that whole concept of, I think, is is that product, right? And say a custom will, custom software will, is that product ready to be tested? Is it testable, right? Is it is that user, does that user get the value out of it? that it's looking for is it is it something that they're going to is there something that they like is is, i mean so it's using it's going for that user component of it versus user acceptance testing is does it work as it as we required it to do is it does it work as it was coded right um it doesn't take in that concept of do i love to use it right or or is this going to provide mass value or whatever it is i think that's probably where he's getting to on that yeah and I ask that to you intentionally because it's a common theme throughout this whole conversation, you know, and, and I actually think it's um, two very distinct but important ideas. And the user acceptance testing is, yeah, can I check the boxes on the requirements? Does it, mm-hmm. do you have the features and functions? Does it do this, 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 and this, which is very different from usability testing, right? You know, I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, you can have, you know, three different ERP platforms. And they all can do the same thing functionally, right? They can check this box, this box, this box, this box. But the usability and the way that they do that can be quite different. Oh, yeah. Right? And, and think about when the, the two events actually happen. When is user acceptance happening? It happens at the tail end of the thing, right? Uh, I got an exec that wants users to come in and say, is this thing ready to go live? Can we run our business on it? Yeah. Right? 
uh, versus usability testing, that happens, at least in our environment, that happens at the very get-go. Like that yeah. happens up front, right? As we have something that's just sketched out and we're working with users like, hey, how do you like this? Does this look good? Does this feel good? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. And, and it's, again, it's part of that agile, you know, iterative yep. kind of development, testing, end user eccentric focus uh, right. throughout the whole process. Right. Um, okay. Uh, I, I, two more questions for you, Steve, if you don't mind, uh, before oh, I bet. let you go. Absolutely. But the other one is, and I just want to share this article, it was by a, a gentleman by the name of Jerry Walker, and it was called Kanban Team Maturity Matters. How is or, or can um, Kanban be used in effective software development? And what does Jerry mean by team maturity matters? Yeah. So, so Jack, you know, Kanban and agile methodology is, is something where you don't necessarily need that scrum master, right? This is where, like, say, the engineering team or the DevOps team or whoever just takes the next thing on that list that the product owners are putting out there and starts going at it, right? And so so that's where that maturity, you need a fairly mature team that's worked together a lot, right? Because it's all about the team and they know what each can do and they can trust each other and get that done. And so that's that's why that maturity is important and in, in if you're going to be running Kanban. And also what type of work is going to be done? Right. If Kanban tends to work, uh, you know, I would, I would get, I think more seamlessly and probably more effectively if it's more of a kind of like a process type development. So let's say like in a support role, like more things coming in as tickets from a support side of things, whatever. Right. Whereas on an agile side, if it's like a new product that's being developed for the first time, whatever, and you have a lot of users in there that you're trying to get their uh, feedback on what is going on and how is it feeling and how is it looking, that may take that more rigid component that requires a scrum, right? So I think that's the main difference, right? Is Kanban doesn't have scrum, whereas the other component that agile, you know, normal agile that you think of it takes a scrum uh, to really get it done. Yeah. You know, and as I read this article, obviously maturity in the sense of experience and skill sets, one thing, but you could almost replace the title with team culture matters uh, in a way. <laughs> you, hit, you hit it right yeah. there. Yeah. The, the, our teams, our, our mature teams have been the same teams that they tend to take on the same product development all the time, right? Yeah. Like we say, we have 100 plus teams available, right, for development projects. So the practice leaders in our group they kind of pull them together like that. It's really, really quite cool. Yeah. All right, Steve. Last question. In terms of software development and ERP success, what is the last piece of advice or the, the little golden nugget that you can leave for our listeners? <laughs> How would you summarize this conversation uh, for our listeners? I think it gets back to the whole theme of what we've talked about, right? That's all focusing on the user, right? With where the get the users involved earlier. Look at how they're feeling about this thing. How can we, how can we get all of them on board of how am I going to run my accounts payable department on this system? You know, how how am I going to track revenue? You know, what are the best practices within this ERP? And and then really focusing on the ERP piece yeah. before you look at like what doesn't the ERP do? What is this ERP missing? Why can't I do this? And really then taking that custom component and prioritizing that by like what you said earlier, what is that secret sauce that our company does that doesn't fit like all the other freight transportation yeah. companies do? And then that's going to be your first development piece that you look at. And then how are you going to fit that together and, and strategize on what the long-term component of that is, like the roadmap of that custom piece align with what's the roadmap of that ERP going forward too. Because that's another thing that we didn't even, we didn't get onto is like when we develop a custom product, there's a roadmap that we build out, yeah, right? right? So this this is what that, that product's going to be in the next five years. This is what the revenue stream for that product's going to be over the next five years, blah, blah, blah. What about the ERP roadmap? I mean, so that's where you have to really be in tight with your ERP vendors or an ERP consulting firm like yours or whatever, right? Is like, okay, what is that roadmap of that ERP? And try to align those things so that you can manage that thing through its you know full life cycle. Yeah, exactly. Steve, thanks for sharing your insight and your experience. Uh, what a fun conversation. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, can you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you? 
Um, sure. I mean, uh, they can reach me at my email address at, at Nexian. It's just my first initial last name, S Douglas at Nexian.com. My phone number, they, they can always reach me on my phone number at 503-807-0873, or they can just reach out on our Nexient website, nexient.com, and uh, you know just ask for me or, or ask for additional information, and I'm, I'm sure it'll get back to me. Sounds good, and we'll be sure to include that information in our uh, show notes as well. Steve, thank you, sir. Fun uh, conversation. We'll talk soon, and uh, be well. Yeah, thank you very much, Jack. And I'd love to talk about anything else that may be a different topic too. So anytime you need me on on for a, a conversation, I'm happy to do it. Oh, I have this. Um, it, I, I think it's we could probably kill two, three, four, five hours pretty easily sharing experiences. So <laughs> I bet uh, we could. I think <laughs> we <Horror> stories. <laughs> yeah, lessons learned and in reflection. Let's call it. <laughs> there you go. That's much. That, that's much more. I went. I went total Halloween. Right. So. <laughs> Well, thanks, Steve. Hey, we'll be in touch. Uh, Take care, my friend. You got it. Thanks. All right. You bet. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the ERP OCJ podcast. This podcast is intended as a forum to study, share, and discuss ERP organizational change successes and challenges. We discuss the people, process, and technological components of ERP organizational change by drawing on knowledge from extensive research, collaborative learning, and practitioner expertise and experience. We are incredibly grateful to have friends, colleagues, and mentors join us in our podcast as we seek to promote, connect, and foster relationships in the ERP organizational change community and contribute to its success by bringing research and practice closer together. We want to make sure this is the most useful and insightful ERP podcast you listen to, and we'd love your help in doing so by leaving us feedback and a review. A great place to do so is at Apple Podcasts. Just click on the Listen in Apple Podcasts link, then click Ratings and Reviews, and let us know your thoughts. You can get more info about the show, including show notes and episode highlights for this and all of our episodes by visiting nestleandassociates.com and clicking the podcast option. Please join us again next week as we discuss the latest ERP organizational change research, practice, and stories. And don't forget to follow us on social media, hashtag the ERPOCJ. Thanks again for listening. Have a fantastic week.